Under the Tartan Sky, Episode 55, produced 20 July, 2018. Scotland has given much to the world, from penicillin to TV, from golf to the gin and tonic, from tires to the flushing toilet. In literature, the same is true, with famous Scottish authors from the historic likes of Sir Walter Scott, Robert Louis Stevenson, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, to contemporaries like Ian Rankin, Peter May, and Janice Galloway. Of course, we should not forget the one and only Robert Burns. I'm Glenn Moyer, and while it may be far too early to place Catherine Alexandra in such esteemed company, she is one of Scotland's newest published authors, and her debut novel, Dancing Through Fire, is receiving five-star reviews. In a moment, we'll meet Catherine to chat about her novel, the writing lifestyle, self-publishing, and book number two. That's all coming up here, Under the Tartan Sky. Caught up in the mystic and spellbinding saga that is Outlander? Wishing you could be swept away over the sea to sky? Why not come and visit Claire and Jamie's world? It's a land of standing stones, shimmering lochs, and great glens that stretch to the horizon and beyond. Outlander, whether in books or on TV, is Scotland. Come and visit the breathtaking landscapes, walk the historic castle grounds, listen for the skirl of the pipes through the thickening mists. You can travel through time when you visit and experience Scotland. If this is the first book, I can't wait to see what's next. From the minute I started reading this book, I couldn't wait to get to the next chapter. Beautifully written, clever use of language, well-constructed, and one of the best reads I've had in years. For a first-time writer, this is a magnificent achievement. A beautiful story showing life's twists and turns with warmth and poignancy created around believable, relatable, and likable characters. When's the next book? That's just a sampling of the many five-star reviews earned by Dancing Through Fire, the debut novel of one of Scotland's newest published authors, Catherine Alexandra, in its first six months of publication. Her book was self-published after 22 years from first putting pen to paper, having spent five years after its completion just waiting Waiting, Catherine says, for the right time. A teacher by trade, Catherine turned to writing in the midst of a failing marriage with a desire for a better life for her then-toddler son. Writing did not change her life overnight and has yet to bring in fame and fortune. But it has, she says, enriched her life. I discovered Catherine's book and am now getting to know her at the recommendation of a mutual friend in Scotland. 
Her writing immediately captivated me, and I knew almost immediately that I wanted to share her story. The story of her desire to be a writer, of what that journey was like, the decision to self-publish, and the trials and tribulations of doing so, and to find out what she would now tell other aspiring writers. But before we go back 22 years, I asked Catherine to set the stage by giving us a synopsis of her book, Dancing Through Fire. So Dancing Through Fire is a story of love and redemption in an unlikely friendship. It features Ellie, who is a very naive 18-year-old from Scotland, who goes to work in Mallorca for the summer before going to university, and she's ready to take on the world. And it features a guy who is a 42-year-old American living the life of a loner on the island of Mallorca, having left behind a very tragic past that he hasn't really shared with anybody, and he doesn't want to revisit, and he doesn't want to talk about. And because of an event one evening in in Mallorca, um, their paths collide. And the story is about the friendship that develops. It's about the kindness of strangers and it's about unexpected love in unexpected places. So you're no longer just a writer. Now you're a published author, self-published, okay, mm-hmm. but you're a published author. Yep. What do you think when someone says that to you? Did that change you in some way? Do you have a different perspective of yourself? Most of the time, to be honest, when I hear that said about me, I tend to think people are talking about somebody else, if I'm very <laughs> honest. I find it very difficult to think of myself still as a published author. And I think it's partly because it was a dream for such a long time. And as you know, that the book itself took a very long time, 22 years. It's becoming the running joke over here that it took me 22 <laughs> years. And there were so many times along the way where I thought, maybe this is it. Maybe this will be the year that I get published or maybe an agent will um, sit up and take notice this year and and it'll all take off and it'll all happen and even along the way when I was working with a mentor um, who was very well known in in the world of literature actually and she was relaying to me a conversation about how she'd said to somebody else um, sorry I won't be able to meet you then because I'm actually meeting with an author and I got all excited and thought oh my goodness who are you meeting with you know who's the author you're meeting <laughs> and of course she was talking about me <laughs> and I had just never never thought of myself yet as being that you know that kind of having that title um, so it's still very odd when I hear people saying that um, I get a wee quiet thrill if I'm very honest because I think yeah that's what I really wanted I, want, I wanted for so long to be a published author um, so it thrills and delights me even if it takes me a moment to, to realise they're actually speaking about me <laughs> Well let's go back to the start of 22 years ago and what drew you to writing? Um, were you writing short stories, magazine articles, or anything of that? Or did you just one day wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to write the next great Scottish novel? Do you know, it was a bit like that, actually, Glenn. It was, it was a bit, uh, I'd always enjoyed reading and writing. I was, um, English was always my favourite subject at school. I went on to university to study English. I was always fascinated by books um, and enjoyed writing stories at school. Really, once I left school um, and university, I didn't do very much um, writing at all until one day um, I, I did have the, the idea that really what I think I'll do is write a book. And it came about because um, I was married very young, divorced very young. And during the time when I was married, um, I was living in a a very small army house. I was married to a soldier at the time. And I was living in a very small army house in Arbroath on the east coast of Scotland. And I I can remember it so vividly. I was sitting out in the back garden um, one summer's day and my son at the time was just about six, seven months old. And he was playing about on the rug um, beside me. And my husband at the time was away on exercise, so he wasn't home. He, He was living away at the time. 
And I remember looking at the situation I had found myself in. I hadn't gone back to work at this time. I didn't really have any friends locally. My husband was away. We weren't very happily married. And I remember looking down at this this beautiful child that I had and thinking, um, I want more. I want more for him and I want more for us than, than this. I, it just wasn't a happy setup at the time. And in that flash moment, I remember thinking, I know what I'll do. I'll write a book. <laughs> um, and it kind of it came to me as if... Um, a, it was going to be an overnight success and B, I was instantly going to make enough money to completely change our lives for us. So, of course, that's not the reality. <laughs> but yeah. it did, however, get the ball rolling. Um, and I remember getting a pad of paper out and a pen, a biro pen, and sitting in the chair in the back garden and writing the first part of my book. Um, and that was kind of how I got into it. And what I realised along the way um, was that you don't you don't go into writing for money at all, Um I think you're, you're deluding yourself if you think that that overnight success is going to happen. But what I did discover very quickly was the joy of writing again um, and the, the joy of creating a story from scratch and putting words down. I love words. I'm fascinated by language and um, finding your style. It just became a really interesting and enjoyable journey for me. And to jump forward a bit, your son did just graduate university with honours, correct? He did. He did. Very proud, very proud mum here at the moment. He um he, he graduated with a first class honours degree in civil engineering. Um and there's not many people that don't know about that here, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the book may not have changed your life, at least not at that point, but uh but certainly your life turned out fairly well. It did, absolutely, yeah. Wow, that's yeah. good. So who who are some of your favorite writers and your inspiration and and what do you like about their writing? Um, I always think that's a kind of tough question because there are so many different books that I've enjoyed through the years. Um, but if I, you know, there are certain writers that stood out to me. I, from from a very very young age, uh, adored Charles Dickens, um, and to this day, I still think he's probably one of the best storytellers of all time. Um, he just, I think, managed to create the most incredible characters in his books, um, and his descriptive language was just fascinating. Um, and I actually remember at the I was I was a very strange child. I mean, I often tell the story and think, my goodness, people must think I was really odd as a child. I remember about the age of eleven reading Great Expectations and reenacting parts of it in my house in the country. I was quite isolated as a child. We lived out in the country, so I had to find quite solitary hobbies. So for me, reading was an absolute godsend. It was a complete escape into all these different mm. worlds. Um and Charles Dickens, as I say just fascinated me. I thought his stories were, were unbelievable. Um, and when I went on to university um, and had the option to specialise in, in, in reading and studying different writers, he was the one that I chose. Um, I've always liked writing that is what I call lyrical and almost poetic in style. I love really rich use of language and descriptive writing that surprises the reader and pulls the reader in. And for me, a good book is one that appeals to the senses, you know, a book that lets you imagine exactly what the author is seeing when he or she writes it and that lets you imagine you're in the room with the characters. Um, and every so often you come across books that do that. Um, another favourite book of mine is A Thousand Splendid Sons, Khaled Hassini, who I think is just a fantastic writer again and a wonderful storyteller. Um, and 
you know, he writes about very difficult topics, about what it's like to be a woman in Afghanistan, for example, but he does it with such tenderness and with such insight that you can almost see past the horror to really, really engage with the characters in the story. Um, so books that surprise me like that, I think, um, got to be up there with my, with my favourites. And writers that can do that, I think, are incredibly skilled. As you know, it was your writing style that so drew me into your book. It was your ability yeah. to, as I think I said to you, what I felt was like painting with words because I was, I did, I felt so much like there were scenes where I was right there. And we're going to skirt around the edges of your book without trying to give any spoilers. I know. Um, <laughs> it's quite hard to do. <laughs> yes, it is. But the, uh, you know, the, the dinner scene that we've discussed yeah. uh, where I literally felt like I was sitting at a table you know, mm-hmm. watching all of this take place in front of me. And, and there were several cases in the book where it was just that style of your being able to really bring the scene alive, almost uh, where I felt like I was watching a video. I could see it yeah. so vividly. And that's one mm-hmm. of the things that has so enamored me of your book and the reason that I wanted to chat with you about this. Um, yeah. So well done, Mr. Dickens. Yes. And that's such a compliment, you know, for a writer to hear that is just incredible feedback because it is one of the things I aim to do with the book. Um, You know, I think because that's what I admire in a book, that's what I set out to do for readers of my own book. Um, So to hear that that was your experience is just fabulous feedback. How did you get started? You said you just picked up a pad and a pen and started writing, but on uh, Dancing Through Fire, um, did you have... uh, the characters of Ellie and Guy in mind, or did you have sort of an imaginary friend that you based some of this on? Was it autobiographical Mm. in any way? How did you start to craft this brilliant story? Well, I always had the characters of Ellie and Guy in mind because um, it's very loosely autobiographical. I'm very careful when I say this because there are events in the book and things that happen in the book which aren't so pleasant and, you know, to this day, my mother's not convinced. It's not completely autobiographical. <laughs> and I have to have this conversation with her about how um, it's really not, you know, that the, the substance of the story is not autobiographical. The, the context is, if you like, in that, like Ellie, I went to work in Mallorca for the summer um, between school and university. And also like Ellie, I was probably a very naive, um, a naive young girl from Scotland who thought she was ready to take on the world and landed herself in this place and in this time when uh, I was really completely unprepared for it. I'd never really been away from home before. Um, there were things happening in the world that I hadn't quite um, prepared myself for, if you like. And um, there, there were lots of challenges being that innocent abroad. And in the story, what I wanted to do was make more of that. I wanted to create the character in Ellie, which showed um, innocence taken to extremes almost. And the character of Guy was always somebody that I had in mind because with the events that happened in the story, I wanted there to be a very, very strong male lead um, to support this innocent young girl through the kind of journey she's going on at that time. Um, The interesting thing for me was trying to write um, both as a 17-year-old girl from Scotland or an 18-year-old girl from Scotland, as Ellie is in the book, and also as a middle-aged American man living in the island of Mallorca, um, because I I clearly have no experience of the latter. So for me, it was about how I was going to get the voice right for both of them. And ironically, um, I actually found it easier to write as Guy than I did to, to write as Ellie. And that really surprised me. 
one of the things that helped me, and I think it's a good tip for anybody that's writing a book and thinking about characters and how they're going to create stories around these characters, is I was able to bring somebody to mind in the character of Guy that... Um, became kind of the model in my head, if you like, for the character as the book developed. I don't know if, if you watched the the program NCIS. I, oh, I know yes. it's kind of big yeah. over in America. Yes. Yeah. And at, at the time, and, and for a very long time, I always had a bit of a thing. If I'm honest, I haven't told my partner this. So I'm hoping he's not listening. <laughs> always had a bit of a thing for uh, Gibbs and NCIS. Uh-huh. And to me, he was the kind of iconic, strong, silent um, American hero figure who has the tortured past. So whenever I was writing in the voice of Guy. I brought to mind Mark Harmon. <laughs> he was the, the inspiration, if you like, behind the character of Guy. It made it an awful lot easier for me. Um, so, so that helped get the ball rolling in deciding how the relationship was going to go, what the characters were going to be like, how they were going to develop. Um, and much to my surprise, once I had some key scenes written down, the story kind of took on a life of its own. Um, and people say that happens when you're writing, that you, you get, get some get some of your work down, get some of the writing down and watch the, the characters take over. And it's it's like magic. It's an amazing experience to be writing away and realising that actually the characters are telling their own story after a while. I was curious about that because you do write the story in two voices. It's told from Ellie's point of view and it's told from Guy's point of view, the, who are the, the, the lead female and male characters in the story. How did that evolve? Because that's not typical um, sure. of a lot of type of writing. I found it very interesting, but but I have to admit, the first time I turned to the new chapter and it was suddenly in Guy's voice, I was mm-hmm. like, ooh, what's this? I, I was a bit <laughs> taken aback. Yeah. I think um, there were a couple of things that I was mindful of when I was writing. And the first was, could I sustain um, to a wide enough audience a whole book written in the voice of an 18-year-old girl, bearing in mind that the, the, the story was going to be quite adult in a lot of ways um, and talking about a journey through being 18 into to 30. And I thought that might be difficult to sustain, but I also wanted to add more depth to the story by showing a completely different point of view. Um, and for me, it was important because the two characters have two completely different stories and backgrounds and both have to come out in the fullness of time across the story for you to completely understand the characters and their actions with each other. Um, and I felt that the best way to do that was to hear from both characters themselves. Otherwise, it would have been very difficult, Guy being the kind of character he is, for Ellie to have been able to narrate his story because he wouldn't have shared it with her, which mm. he doesn't in the book. Right. Um, so he he had to be telling his own story along the way. But it also, to me, added a layer of complexity because you, you were seeing feelings and thoughts from both sides and you know, it added to this whole idea of lost opportunity, if you like, love that never happened, um, and the frustrations on both sides around that. Uh, so I never really imagined it writing it in any other way. If I'm honest, it was always going to be about the story of two people and how their lives collided. You said something very early on about a mentor. Did you seek um, professional training or coaching? Was this purely um, a book from your soul, or was there some help along the way? In lots of ways, it's it's purely a book from me um, however I did um, have the help of a mentor at one point who I had originally approached um, with, with my manuscript or part of my manuscript in, in the hope that she might become an agent and we got into some really good conversations about books and writing and at the same time as I had approached her she was about to open what's called the writing room and it was a kind of a, a kind of 
agency, if you like, or service which supported and mentored aspiring writers, um, not yet published. And at that time, I decided to go down that route. And I worked with her over a period of about nine months to a year. And it was a, it was a really good and interesting support to me at the time. What I did discover, though, was that I didn't particularly like it when people tried to change my writing, <laughs> which doesn't bode well if you're looking for an agent with an editor on board, yeah. I can assure you. So what I found very early on was that if she suggested changes, some I could absolutely agree with and, and put in place. But a lot of the time changes that were suggested to me changed the tone of the book for me or didn't quite match the voice that I had in my head for that mm-hmm. character and so there was a rub there and at that point I recognised that being as stubborn as I am no I really need to do this on my own I need to write this book in my own way and in my own style and yes at some point it would be great if an agent um, took this on board and liked what I had written but getting to the end game had to be completely my own work Um, and it's a bit ironic when I think about my work as an English teacher and how many times I've taken a red pen to other people's writing through the years (laughs) and and I didn't like it when it happened to me (laughs) Um, but that's the way that's the way I like to work. Well, and good on you for that, because I think you have to be, my gut tells me that to be a successful writer, you've got to be true to yourself. You can't write what your agent or your editor or your publisher wants you to write. You need to tell the story that you want to tell. You know, as a reader, when I find a book that I like, as I did yours, I really get wrapped up in the characters. I I really, I very much... Um, in a sense, almost took on the role of Guy, uh, very much could, in, could had my vision of who Ellie was. Um, you become so enraptured in the story, and, and you almost feel like you're their neighbor or, or one of the family. And, and when it ends, it's like, but wait, you know, what happens, yeah. what happens tomorrow and, and tomorrow and tomorrow? Um, how emotionally do you as the author uh, become with your characters? How difficult is did you find that as a writer? What, what was the emotional attachment between you and your characters? Do you know, it was, it was quite incredible because I found myself incredibly emotionally involved and invested in the book. Not so much in the early years when I was finding my feet with writing and I was developing my style, but as the book went on and the characters developed and the story was taking shape, um, I really became incredibly emotionally attached to the characters and what was happening to them. And I can I can honestly say that when I finished writing the book, when I, I wrote the last chapter and sat back and thought, phew, that's it, I've, I've finished my novel, I did cry, I did have a cry because um, without giving too much away about the last chapter as well, there was just that, um, I, I felt a certain pride in, in one of the characters in particular and that real emotional kind of empathy, if you like, um, for everything that had happened and everything that character had gone through. Um, but there were also points along the way when I was writing um, more sensitive um, parts of the story, if you like, where I was surprisingly emotional and it surprised me as a writer that um, I had that response to actually, um, you know, developing that part of the story. And, and for me, the one the one bit I remember vividly getting really emotional about was when I wrote the scene um, where Guy is on the porch having a conversation with Ellie's dad. Yes. Now, these are two men that were never really supposed to meet and they're both men with um, tragic backstories, if you like, and an awful lot going on and um, 
it's a moment in Guy's life which is very difficult for him and also for Ellie's dad. And they have this very open, honest and unexpected conversation on the porch where they really open up to each other and they share their secrets, their guilt, the things which have troubled them through the years. And because I had been writing the character of Guy for so long, I knew that for him, that would have been such an incredibly difficult thing to do, but something absolutely needed to do at that point in his life. Um, that I wept when I wrote it, if I'm very honest, because I felt so I felt so sorry for him when I was writing that part of the book, um, and it was just a very it was a very emotional thing. And again, I, I was quite impressed on myself in a sense that I could empathise with a man in that in that way at that moment in time because it's easy to empathise with female characters as a woman. I think it's much easier to write about experiences that you've had, things you know a little bit about. Um, but obviously, when you're writing about um, uh, uh, men or men's emotions, things I, I, I haven't experienced firsthand, it can be a bit more difficult to get a grasp of that. But I really did. I really did feel that the emotions that would have that would have happened and would have been happening in that moment, and found myself getting completely emotional about it. And I missed them when I finished writing the book. I actually missed them because I thought that's over. And um, I can't, I can't really revisit that. That's that story told, um, and I'm, I'm finished. And I've got to put it out into the world now. And I want to go there because after I finished the book and and put it down, I, I felt the same way. I, I've suddenly felt this emptiness that, oh no, I'm, I'm never gonna visit Ellie and Guy again. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not yeah. gonna have um, that relationship with them. And, yeah. and and I felt even though you wrapped up this story nicely and it comes to an end, the end of the story for one character is very much a new beginning. And so yep. the question I have that draws from that is you've moved on and are writing a second book now that, that we mm-hmm. can discuss in a bit, but mm-hmm. are you comfortable with having set those two characters aside and said, that's the end? Or is there any contemplation of a sequel or, or are you happy and able to just put that on the shelf and say, that's that character done with and, and never go back and revisit? Well, see, I thought I was, if I'm very honest, I thought I was happy to just close that. Um, <laughs> Until and I brought it up, huh? <laughs> yeah, so many people have said to me since reading the book, um, are you writing a sequel? And I have to be very honest and say it hadn't crossed my mind. I was so hell-bent on telling this story and putting that book out into the world, which I did, that I hadn't really considered what a sequel might look like um, but because so many people have said to me you've got to write a sequel to that it's crying out for a sequel um, I am now thinking where do I take this story next because I can see how particularly for one of the characters um, there is more to be told I'm, I'm not done with this character yet I don't think um, but interestingly, a colleague of mine who read the book picked up on the character of Maria, who's an important but almost incidental character in the book, yeah. and talked about how she related to this woman and wanted to know more about her. Oh. And again, that got me thinking, is there more to write about this character? Can this character feature more significantly in yeah. a sequel? So. Really, it's feedback from readers, which is the best kind ever, of course. It's the feedback from readers, which has got me thinking about my next steps as, a, as an author. Um, and and that's, that's really surprised me and delighted me as well. You said this took 22 years to write. It was write yep. a bit, put it in a box, write a bit, put it in a box, write a bit, you know. Um, you've said over those 22 years, your writing style changed. 
Yeah. How did that impact your writing process? Did you find yourself having to go back to the very beginning? And was it like going back yeah. and starting all over again? Or were you just able to go back and edit and amend a few things to, to add whatever changes had come to your writing voice? I think, to be honest, it means it's probably one of the most frequently edited books in, in the history of literature, to <laughs> be honest, because I, I, I feel I need to clear up that although I say it took 22 years, um, really, if I condensed all the writing parts in there, it would have taken significantly less than that. It took 22 years from writing that first word to hitting the publish button. Um, when I first started writing, uh, it, was, it was a pretty raw style of writing, if I'm honest. Um, and I look back at original drafts because they were, they were handwritten and I cringe a little bit and I think, wow, um, I, I was brave to send those first few chapters to an agent um, because really, although I thought they were really good at the time, um, they just didn't have uh, what I would say is now my my style of writing. Uh, that, that wasn't clear. Um, what I did find through the years was that you refine your style in writing, your own voice becomes much stronger. And I think that's partly an age thing as well. I found that as, as I've got older, I've become more confident probably in expressing myself as I want to, whether that's speaking or in the written word. Um, and so that meant for me when I was revisiting the book each time I'd put it away for a few years and I would return to it, I did have to go back and read from the beginning and almost edit every time from the beginning as well. Um, the fundamental story never changed, um, but the narration changed, the, the style changed. It became more lyrical as I got older because that, that was the more natural, if you like, the more natural writing voice coming through. Clearly, you went the process that I think probably every writer would go through, and that is you hope to find an agent, get it to an editor in a big publishing house, and like you say, yeah. change your life overnight and become the next J.K. Rowling. Um, That's it. That obviously doesn't happen to very many people. <laughs> um, so at, at what point did you feel like you had enough of the book done to begin going down that path, and what was it like going down that path? Um, I, I probably did it way too soon, if I'm honest. Um, I, I kind of wrote about three or four chapters and thought I was good to go, that I was going to send these three, or, and that, that's where my naivety kicks in um, and my lack of experience in this in this industry. And I kind of thought at that point I had enough um, to give them a sample of my writing. I had a synopsis uh, that was ready to go, and I would send them off and, of course, um, get rejections um, by the dozens through the years. Um and really things kind of, I suppose, changed when um, I got in touch with this this agent who subsequently became my mentor and who worked with me for a while, um, making me more aware of how the industry works and making me more aware of myself as a writer. So I would probably say to people now, if you're going to go down that road, be nearly finished your book before you start approaching um, agents because really they could come back as well and say to you, yeah, we really like that. We're good to go. We want it done in six months. Uh, we want it finished in six months. And had anybody done that, I'd have been in real hot water. <laughs> you know, that, that would never have happened and that would have been an opportunity lost. Um, so I kind of did it far too early, far too naively. Um, I did follow all the protocols online because agents are very clear about what they expect. And because they said, send us three chapters and a synopsis, I thought that three chapters was really all I had to have written at that point in time. And I remember having a conversation with um, a friend of my dad's um, who's sadly no longer here and he was editor of the London Times. He was literary editor, Philip Howard, and he was a fantastic man. And I remember having a, a real heart-to-heart -heart with him a few years ago about 
about how I wanted to be a writer and I wasn't getting anywhere. And he, he suggested somebody to send a sample of my book to. And in all innocence, again, I said to him, do you know what I'm really, really worried about is that somebody gets hold of this and copies my idea and writes my book before I can finish it. Oh. And he kind, of, he kind of looked at me, you know, kind of half amused and very kindly and pointed out that really there are only really about eight or nine variations of stories that you can ever have. And all anybody ever does is regurgitate them in different forms. So he said, it's very highly unlikely that you're going to come up with an original storyline here that doesn't mirror the rest of the history of literature in one way or another, <laughs> one way or another. and so I was very nicely put back in my place mm. about my work there. Um, but I, that was a huge concern for me. I couldn't get past that. What if somebody steals my idea? Yeah. And yeah, when I was doing the rounds with the the editors and the, the agents, of course, it's different now with email and, and and those trails. I remember doing what what all the good books said you had to do, which was you sent off a copy, first class recorded delivery, and you also sent a copy back to yourself, which you kept in a sealed envelope should you ever have to produce it for evidence that that work right. was yours. Yeah. <laughs> so you have a postmark to prove the date that you created the idea. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I did all of that and went through all of that till eventually I realised that that process was actually taking the joy out of the writing for me. And I was so focused on that that I lost sight of what I really wanted to do, which was write this story that re that readers would enjoy reading. Um, so I kind of stopped doing that um, after a while and settled into finishing the book, um, writing this book that I'd wanted to write for so long. And then when I finished it, I put it aside and at that point had no inclination to send it to another agent or to try and find an editor or anything like that. And it sat completed for another five years before I decided I was going to take the leap and self-publish. Well, let's talk about self-publishing. Um, what, as you say, it sat for five years and you took the leap. What finally pushed you over the edge to take that leap? And what were your reservations um, about self-publishing? You know, it's funny because a few people have asked me that question before. What took you so long? Why did you leave it sitting there? And and I don't know about you, but I always think you, you get a gut instinct about when the time is right for something. And in all those years when it was sitting there finished, I, I just kept thinking to myself, it's not the right time. It's not the time to do that yet. And life was going on as it always does and other things were taking over and jobs were changing sure. and, and, and all the rest of it. And my mother would keep saying to me, what are you going to do with your book? You finish your book, what are you going to do with it now? And I would kind of palm it off and say, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll know when the time is right to do that. And then December of last year, um, it, without thinking, I, I got up one day and thought, right, now's the time. I need to do something about this now. No more hanging about, no more procrastinating. It's time to put the book out into the world. And again, didn't cross my mind to go around the agent's route again. I knew absolutely that I was going to go down the self-publishing route. Um, I think previously, um, if I'm honest, I was probably resistant to self-publishing because it does get a bit of a negative reputation in that it's, there's always been the suggestion that if you have to self-publish, then your book's not been a success, yeah. that you've been unsuccessful with the rounds, with the agents and the, the publishing houses, and really it's a last resort. However, I would argue now that a significant number of writers and very well-known writers are choosing to self-publish because the publishing industry um, can be quite ruthless. The traditional publishing industry can be quite ruthless. And there are pros and cons to both, absolutely. But as a self-published author, you maintain way more rights over your work. Um, the royalties that you receive are 
far more significant than they would be if you were going down um, the traditional route and going through um, an agent. And there's also that issue that I spoke of earlier about me maintaining control over my actual writing. Um, And as long as you're confident that that book has been as professionally edited as you can, then I think that that for me is definitely the way that I choose to work now. Well, as a self-publisher, you you don't have the benefit of... uh, as you say, an agent, a publisher, an editor, and the staffs that large publishing houses have. So you have to deal not only with getting the book out there and the the IT questions that involves that, that I can't even imagine. How do you get yeah. how do you get your manuscript up onto Amazon so that I can go buy it and read it on my Kindle? But yeah, before you yeah. get to that point, you have to come up with issues like a cover image. You don't have to design a jacket, but you do have to design, obviously, um, the cover. And you don't have any help. You don't have a staff or an artist who's doing that for you. Um, yeah. How did you do deal with some of those questions of particularly the cover, the title of the book? That Because sometimes an editor will say, no, 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 this title doesn't. I do it in the magazine. I, I get an article and I say, that's a great article, but this is a better title. And as the editor, that's my right. And I put that title on it. You become, as a self-publisher, you, you have the power to decide all of that. But by the same token, you have to decide all of that. How did you find yeah. that part of the challenge of self-publishing? Um, it's interesting because the title came to me really quite early on um, I, I was torn between two titles initially I wanted to call it Before the Dawn um, and then I realised that that, um, that just didn't quite fit the story, I wanted it to be something that was a wee bit m- more unusual if you like and so Dancing Through Fire came to mind and obviously that's based on the one scene in the book where there's a conversation about how everybody has their fire that they have to go through mm-hmm. um, and, and that was hers um, so, so that was very much the kind of inspiration for the title if you like, so I didn't really struggle over that um, I spend a, and, and I've spent a lot of time, the same with book two, thinking about the title and getting that right, I think it's really important because people buy at first glance the title of a book and the image of a book before they go anywhere near looking at the writing. So it's interesting that you should ask about those two key elements of self-publishing because they are incredibly important. Um, With the title in mind, it then made the the front cover a little bit easier in that I had colours in mind. So with the word fire in the title, for example, I knew I was going to go with warm, vibrant colours. I wanted those oranges and golds and yellows, those rich colours in there. Um, And I have to be honest and say this is when I turn to the the expertise of my son, who is naturally gifted when it comes to A, working with computers and B, anything design related. And he has much more patience than I do when it comes to um, sorting images and working with different fonts and correcting colours and formatting formatting that front cover. And he spent a a long time working with me, taking all my suggestions and coping with all my, no, I need to change this. Can you make that slightly darker? And he completed the front cover for me. Um, and I've liked the front cover. I think it's it's received a lot of positive feedback. At one point, I did um, do a bit of a poll on social media about whether or not we should update the front cover. And, and it was an absolute no. It, we like it as it is and it works well. So I had a bit of help with both of those things. Um, the IT side of things is probably not as onerous as you think it might be, believe it or not. It's yeah. much more straightforward. Mm, I know that surprised me because I think at the back of my mind that was probably putting me off. Um, it helps that I live with somebody who's very IT savvy and they have a very good idea of technical things. However, I chose to self-publish through Kindle Direct Publishing 
and can honestly say that it's a step-by-step uh, guide that you're given to uh-huh. taking the Word document that is your manuscript and formatting it and uploading it in a format that then becomes a book that people can download and and read. Um, Had I not had a step-by-step guide, I think I would really have struggled with that aspect of it. Um, But the support that you get through these programmes to self-publish now is is really quite high level. Um, And if that's what's holding anybody back, I would say um, don't be put off by the technical side of things. Go in, have a look at KDP online, read the guides before you start the process and, and see for yourself how straightforward it is. And let's talk about another challenge, and that's marketing the book. Um, It's one thing to get it uploaded and onto Kindle Direct or Amazon, wherever you can go and download it. But then you got to let people know the book exists. Was there a step-by-step guide to do that? Or how did you go about doing that and learning about it? Well, I can tell you I did it absolutely the wrong way. So for anybody (laughs) listening who is thinking about (laughs) self-publishing, I would be saying... Find out about the marketing before you hit the publish button. Um, I was so excited about hitting that publish button online and seeing my book appear on on Amazon that um, it was really only afterwards that I stopped to think about, right, okay, I've got a book out there. Nobody knows it's there yet. How am I going to to do this? And it's probably the bit I've struggled with the most, if I'm honest, is the marketing. I I knew I was going to have to do it all by myself because I didn't have the support of that that bigger team you mentioned if if you go down the traditional route. Um, And probably, again, a little naively thought that it would be fairly straightforward and I could do it. I would would take uh, take on a Facebook page. I would sign up to Twitter. I would create an author's page, a website, and brand myself, which is what I knew you had to do. But I think I had underestimated the time that you have to invest in marketing a book. And I think one of the frustrations for me is in knowing that I haven't been able to invest as much time as I would have liked because I'm obviously doing it on on top of full-time work at the moment. And it could be a full-time job taking on the marketing of a book and writing the next book. I could very easily create a full-time job out of doing that. I'm not a huge fan of social media. Um, I've had to engage with it. I've had to learn to engage with it. Um, I, I'm i still struggling a little bit with Facebook. I probably don't post half as often as I should. I'm struggling a bit with it, but I'm getting there. Um, Twitter, I find more user-friendly, so I find it easier to engage with people through, through Twitter. Um, the website, again, uh, it's, it's about creating yourself as a brand, I think, more than anything else, because all the advice will tell you, really, when it comes to social media, only between 5 and 10% of what you post should actually be directly related to your book. And the rest is about you and, and your interests and yeah. your life as a writer. Um, other, otherwise, you, you, you fall into the territory of pushing too much, you know, pushing it towards people too much and putting people off. So you have to learn that fine balance as well. Um, but when it comes to marketing, for me, hands down, the most effective is always the face-to-face interactions. So or, or talking to people like, like you and I are talking just now, um, and it's much easier to get across your passion for writing and and y- your story and, and the details of your book when you're having proper conversations with people. And those are absolutely the bits that I like the best. For me, being able to talk to somebody who read your, your, your book is such a privilege. It's just the best feeling in the world to get into a conversation with somebody about the book and to to listen to their perspective because readers always bring their own perspectives and that fascinates me. Um, I hadn't expected that um, 
readers would bring all their own perspectives and life stories and values and beliefs to their interpretation of the book. Um, and that's been that's been really interesting for me to experience that in the conversations I've had. So there is a second book in the works, and uh, if we haven't said outright, it has nothing to do with Dancing with Fire. It's set, it's set in Scotland. I don't want to give too much away again, but you've told me that. And so give us a little bit of what the second book is about. The second book is set in Ely on the east coast of Scotland, which is a beautiful part of the world, a very popular part of the world now. It was in its day a beautiful old Scottish um, fishing village, and it's the it's the the the, um, the location of book two because it's a place that's very close to my heart. My mum was brought up in Ely during World War Two. She would just have been a very young girl at the time, and her family moved between Ely and Aberdeenshire in Scotland. So she had lots of memories of Ely and consequently that was where all my childhood holidays happened. Um, And it seemed to me to be the perfect location for a story which is fundamentally about a woman who is in her early 40s and realises that she's in a very, very unhappy marriage. And the question for her is, um, when did it go beyond being an unhappy marriage into something that was more abusive? Um, and, and one of the kind of opening quotes for her is, when did I become this woman? And it's the realisation that everything she knew in her life, she has um, lived in that 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 place all her life, as her mother did, as her grandmother did, three generations in this small fishing village in Scotland. And the realisation that that's all about to go, everything that she knows about life and her, her heritage and um, her place in the world is about to change. And so the book is really about her journey moving forward from that and reinventing herself, finding herself and um, the kind of unexpected, um, the unexpected consequences of any one change in a person's life. Um, and without giving too much more of the plot line away, um, I'm, I'm hoping that um, it's a book that women of a certain age can relate to um, that uh, women even my mother's age can relate to because I'm hoping to be able to bring in an historical element to this book because of my mum's memories of wartime in Ely um, so that that creates a slightly different style of writing for me it allows to reference it allows me to reference World War Two and that way of life at that time in a small fishing village in Scotland as well um, so I'm excited to write it I have to say it started out as a short story um, which I wrote in the middle of writing Dancing Through Fire and I wanted to try my hand at writing something different and so I wrote this short story and got to the end of it and thought oh I, I quite like this character actually I, I think I could make more of this. this there's definitely a bigger story to tell here and that was how it began I don't want you to give away the title if you have a title in mind but I do want to talk about the title of Dancing Through Fire once you settled on the title and you published, were you surprised to find there are other Dancing Through Fire books, et cetera, et cetera, that are out there? I, I bring that up because when I was looking for an image to, to post mm-hmm. in a comment on Twitter, strangely enough, yeah. um, I had to search Dancing Through Fire book, and then I had to search Dancing Through Fire Catherine Alexandra to get your book yeah. to come up, yeah. which all gets involved to SEO and that kind of and We're not going there. But... Were you surprised once you decided on the title and went with that to find that there are other references to that title out there? Did you think it was really, really unique? Well, 
there's a story there you see okay. yes I did think it was unique because <laughs> when I first thought of the title it was unique because one of the first things you do when you think of a book title is you, you do a quick google search to see if there's anything else of that name now bearing in mind we're talking a span of 22 years here so way back fairly near the beginning when I decided that was the name of the book nothing appeared when I typed in Dancing Through Fire so Glenn you can imagine my surprise when I published the book promptly went on to look at it in Amazon and discovered another book called Dancing Through Fire uh-huh, yeah. at which point I had a a, a mini meltdown and thought that's it everything's going to have to change I'll have to pull it off I can't have that and then I took a, I took a moment and took a deep breath and realised no this this does happen I looked up the legalities of it and I thought no we're okay um, I don't have to quickly change the name bring the whole book down all references to it it's absolutely okay to do that obviously it's not something I would want to do a second time uh, I'll be thinking very very carefully about the title for about two in fact I've already searched to see if the title I have in mind is, has been used and it hasn't but I think before I hit the publish button I'll be doing another search this time just in case um, but yes it was a huge surprise to me I have to be honest <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's Not funny how one. yeah it's funny how those things happen sometimes and of course Google is a little more extensive now than it was 22 years ago so no one can Absolutely. blame you I suppose um, <laughs> <laughs> so as you know we met through a mutual friend who recommended your book to me and she introduced you to me as a writer of women's fiction. And yeah. I thought, mm, I don't know. I'm not, mm. I, I don't, <laughs> I, romance novels are not my thing. But I read it based on the strength of, or I started reading it based on the strength of her recommendation and her friendship. And yeah. and then immediately your writing style just captivated me. And, and I found myself thrust into the book and, and read it every night till I was finished with it. It's a romance story but it's not a romance story. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. Can I just say, I'm absolutely delighted that you liked the book as a man because I really struggled defining it as women's fiction. Um, It's one of the things I find difficult about self-publishing because you you have to categorise your book and you're only allowed to, to put it in a maximum of three categories. So the three that I chose were women's fiction, romance and contemporary literature. I really wanted to say it was drama because there's a lot of drama in the book. Um, but I always had this slight discomfort about women's fiction because I had hoped, especially with the dual perspective between Guy and Ellie, that it might appeal to men as well because they were seeing a man's perspective on the situation. So I was delighted when, as a man, you were able to engage with the book and relate to the book. Um, the romance issue is, is, an, is an interesting one. I would say the book is romantic. Um, I think there are, there are moments that are quite sensual in the book. Um, there are moments that are intimate in terms of the connection between the characters but it is not romance as we know it now because if you were to look up the romance genre in in Amazon you would get a cascade of books that were all different versions of Fifty Shades of Grey and it's definitely not within that category and I didn't want to go within that category Um, but, but that seems to be what's being labelled as romance at the moment. So pro- probably I would I would define it more as a romantic story than romance as a genre. 
Yeah, I would agree. I, I mean, I found it very romantic, but was not at all what, what I anticipated when, when I entered yeah. into it thinking, okay, it's a romance novel, because I had a totally different vision of what a romance novel nowadays is. And, and having worked in a bookstore in my days in university, uh, romance novels were the same thing then that, that I think they are now. Uh, not to knock yeah. that genre, but it's just not my cup of tea by any means. And, and I didn't no, have no, any interest in not going Not mine as there. a writer, I have to be honest. Yeah, yeah, so I had no interest in going there. And, and I sort of took a leap of faith in um, in our mutual friend's recommendation to read the book. I'm so glad you did pick it up and give it a go. I really am because it's quite a brave move, you know, looking at a genre that might not be your usual kind. And it's something I hear quite a lot. Interestingly, many of the women who have picked the book up and enjoyed it have said to me, this is not my usual genre at all. I usually go for thrillers or crimes, but I've really enjoyed this. Um, and that's always interesting because I think it's quite easy not to um, take a gamble on a different kind of story or a, a new writer. You know, a lot of people don't want to take a gamble on a complete unknown. So I'm delighted that you did, Glenn. Well, I'm delighted too because it's it's brought me an introduction to you as a friend, and and I'm enjoying that, and uh, and I can't wait to for the second and third and fourth book, and to the yeah. today when I when I I can point to someone and say, hey, I knew her when. <laughs> well, I'm just hoping the next one doesn't take another twenty two years, Glenn. Well, you know, the, let's the, hope we'll not. Losing the power of sight by then to be able to read it. I, I was going to say I might not be here on release date <laughs> if it takes another twenty two years. Let's hope so, but you never know. Um, a couple of other quick things to touch on, and, and that is with regard to self-publishing, we talked about the stigma that it once had of, you know, if you had to self-publish, you just weren't good enough to make it in the traditional yeah. publishing world. Um, you mentioned you don't have a strong IT background, but do you have an opinion on, on how technology with tablets and e-readers and the Kindles and those sort of things, has that helped to open up the publishing world? Has it made more opportunity, made readers Absolutely. more acceptable to people who, yeah. uh, uh, who, like you, are writing for the first time and publishing for the first yeah. time? Absolutely. And with that comes pros and cons, obviously. Um, I think before the kind of digital age, it would have been virtually impossible for somebody in my position to self-publish. Um, it certainly would have been an awful lot more costly to, to do a run of prints um, if that was the only option available. Um, but the technology now allows um, writers who have a voice, who can't or won't or are unable to go through the traditional publishing routes to actually put their work out into the world. Now, th there are kind of pros and cons, as I said, about that, because I think one of the things that's still a bit of a sticking point is quality control. And, um, you know, a lot of people resist a self-published digital book, particularly if, like mine, there are no paper copies yet available. Um, and people resist it because sometimes even without going into to see the sample of writing there will be an assumption that the quality won't be great and that's something that, that I kind of really want to address you know and and change people's minds about and yes I'm sure there are books out there that, that aren't that great that have been self-published digitally but I would also say there are some traditionally published books out there which you pick up and read and think these aren't that great so that issue is, is purely a matter of personal taste wherever you go whether it's digital or traditional um, but as a writer you have way more options now um, to put your work out into the world than you did even I would say 10 years ago when self-publishing was relatively unheard of um, it has absolutely blossomed in the last few years and made it possible for for people like myself to achieve a dream which is to to publish a book and tell a story. 
I, I hate to bring this conversation to an end because it's such fun, but we need to at some point. And so let's end on this. And, and that would be now that you've gone through the writing experience and you've gone through the self-publishing and you are an author and you're working on a second book now and you're going down that, that career path, what is your advice for uh, the person who is you 22 years ago that dreams yeah. of writing the next great American or Scottish or Irish or Czechoslovakian or whatever it yeah. may be novel? <laughs> what, would, what would you tell you 22 years on? I um, there are a couple of things I would probably say. The first is um, stick at it, and that's that you need a bit of resilience to to complete a book. It's very easy to want to give up or to hit a patch of writer's block or for life to take over as it did with me for long periods of time and for you to, to put that dream to the side. But there is something about going back to that. If that's a niggling dream of yours and something you really want to do, do it no matter how long it takes you. Keep going back to it and show that resilience and, and keep that passion for it alive. The second thing I would say is do it your way. Um, you know, and I kind of laugh at that. If I could give you one piece of advice, it would be to ignore all the advice because I have read an awful lot about how writers should work and how many words you should write in a day and um, when you should approach an agent and all of that. And actually, the only thing that worked for me was when I did it in my own way. I wrote in my style, in my time, um, and in a way that I was comfortable with, I think when you deviate from that, you lose authenticity in your writing and you lose the heart of the story. So if you have a real dream to put a story out into the world, stick at it and do it your way. And it's absolutely an achievable dream. My thanks, as always, to my now newest friend in Scotland, Catherine Alexandra, for sharing with us her journey and lessons learned as a budding writer and now a published author. I have no doubt that it won't be long before I'll be able to say proudly, yes, but I knew her when. Dancing Through Fire is currently available for download only as an ebook, though Catherine says she is considering a possible limited paperback printing. I too gave it five stars in my own review, and I hope you'll consider adding it to your library. Next time, you're likely to hear Bar She Blows. No, it's not a review of Moby Dick. But my guest and I will be discussing the newly proposed Hebridean Whale Trail, promoting sea life tourism across the west coast of Scotland and the inner and outer Hebrides. Until then, I'm Glenn Moyer. Tapolev, Agus Alpha Cabra. Under the Tartan Sky is a production of Glenn L. Moyer Creative Communications. For show notes and more information on this and all Under the Tartan Sky episodes, please visit our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. Have an idea for a future episode? Well, get in touch via email at info at underthetartansky.scot. Visit and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where our username is at underscore tartansky. That's the underscore symbol, tartansky. And thank you for listening. <laughs>